We're in uh, Exodus chapter 32, so uh, let me pray and we'll, we'll get rolling. Father God, uh, we are thankful to be in your presence. Lord, uh, just uh, help us always to treasure the uh, fellowship of believers that we got a lot of, got a little glimpse of uh, what it's like to uh, kind of have to set that aside for a while. Lord, we pray that you would uh, continue to uh, have your hand on this virus, that your will would be worked out. Lord, as we go through your word tonight, that uh, you would just send your Holy Spirit uh, to me, uh, uh, just a mere sinful man, and uh, do something with it. Uh, your word does not come back void and work in the hearts of people. Lord, we, uh, we pray that you would do this for us, and we thank you for the opportunity to be here together. In Jesus' name, amen. So, chapter 32, what's been happening up to this point is, uh, obviously, the children of Israel have... Uh, um, come out of Egypt. They've seen God do some pretty fantastic and miraculous and amazing things. Uh, in verse uh, Exodus 19, uh, we see uh, Moses uh, go up to God and he says this in uh, uh, Exodus 19:4. So tell the sons of Israel, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possessions along with all the peoples, for the earth is mine. So the Lord is setting up in this, these are his people. The people of Israel are supposed to be people who follow God in a way that the rest of the world would say, what is this promise about? What is this God about? And to bring other people to know God. And at this point, his promise. Just like now, we're supposed to be people who uh, uh, are preaching the gospel and living in such a way that people would go, wow, I want to know about this Jesus and, and his forgiveness and the hope of heaven. So, so God is saying, hey, this is what I want. This is, I want, you guys have seen what I can do, and you're going uh, to be my possession, and the whole earth will know. And then he goes on and he gives them the Ten Commandments. And the importance of the Ten Commandments is that God has a holy standard, and He needs us to meet the holy standard. Obviously, the, the challenge with that is we can't. That's why we need Jesus and forgiveness. Uh, and then after He gives the Ten Commandments, uh, Moses goes up the mountain and uh, receives uh, the Ten Commandments and comes back down. And then uh, this is the first time. So So it's not just... Moses goes up there and he hangs out for a long time. He's up and down a little bit. So uh, in Exodus 24, uh, what happens is he comes down uh, from the mountain and they agree uh, to keep his commandments. And uh, Moses writes them down and he goes back up. They, they confirmed, they confirmed the, uh, their commandment with Moses. This is 24. Uh, uh, then Moses came and return, uh, recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinance, and all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words which the Lord has spoken we will do, referring to the Ten Commandments. So Moses goes back up, and Moses then, in the preceding chapters, all the way up to 31, he's getting the instructions that we went back through in the last couple of weeks for the building of the temple and all the things in it and the sacrifices. And he even gives skilled craftsmen to be able to build these things to have a meeting place with his people. So God has given the law. He wants to meet with his people. He wants them to be his own. And so at this time, when we start chapter 32... 
uh, all the things that we went through is what, what's, what's happened. You know, if you, you know, quickly go through all the things that God was instructed to do in the temple. And then you start chapter 32. Well, the cloud is above the mountain and Moses up there. It kind of goes back to, meanwhile, back at the camp. Um, and it's downhill from there. So, so and just remember that. God is up there saying, hey, this is how I want to meet with my people. There's a cloud up there. They've seen the plagues. They've seen the parting of the Red Sea. They've seen all this, right? And then it starts with 32. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God with whom, uh, who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from Egypt, the land of Egypt, we do not know what became of him. And Aaron said, tear off the gold rings which are in your ears, uh, in the ears of your wives and your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off their gold rings which were in their ears, and he brought them to Aaron. He took uh, this from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, and said, this is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt." Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation, and he said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And so the next day, they rose up early, and they offered burnt offerings, and they brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and they rose up to play. Oh, my goodness. So, <laughs> this is, uh, gosh, we, we kind of look at this, uh, we kind of look at this and we go, you were in Egypt a long time. You were oppressed. God did amazing things. And we don't know exactly how long Moses delayed because it doesn't tell us, uh, you know, how long it took Aaron to actually get the gold and make the golden calf. But Moses was up there this time for 40 days. So somewhere between, let's just say it took him a few days, between zero and 35 days, they're like, we don't know what happened to Moses. We just don't know. And it never occurred to them to say, hey, Aaron, you ought to run up there and see what you can see. Or, oh, there's still a cloud up there. Something's going on up there. They're just like, we don't know. We don't know what happened to them. There's a thing with uh, babies. It's called object permanence. Have you guys heard of this? Like, so, so until a baby gets to a certain age, like if, if you're holding this tray up here and you put something in front of it, the baby thinks it's gone, right? Just gone because it doesn't realize, oh, it's still there. It's, there's just something in front of it. They're kind of like that. They're kind of like infant, infants. Well, we haven't seen him. He must be gone. He's just gone. We don't know. And so uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, they come to him and said, uh, make a God who will go before us, for we don't know what happened to Moses. So it's, it's really interesting in this. Through this passage, and even right here, they use two different names for God. This first one is Elohim which is um, a plural word, strength and power. And this is the same usage that Scripture uses in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Elohim. So when they go to Moses and say, make us a God, they're using the name of God and they're saying, make us an image. But just like, let's say this is at 30 days, just 30 days before, they had seen the second commandment, which was, don't make any graven images. So, well, somehow in their mind, I think that they're thinking, oh, we want to pay homage to God because Moses is gone and we're going to make something that looks like God. Idolatry is idolatry. 
So they're using the words of God, but it would seem to me that their hearts are far from God. Uh, and, and it's just interesting because when I got to looking at the words, uh, it's interesting how they use it. And the translators did this. When God is proper, when it's there, it's capitalized. God with a capital G. When they say, make us a God, even though it's the word Elohim in English, it's lowercase. And that's in the NASB anyway. So I don't know about other translations. So it's interesting that that distinction is made. So they're using the right words of the Bible, but they are not doing biblical things. And so, uh, and Aaron says, uh, right away, when you look at, you can look at this any number of ways, but you can look at, uh, you know, any leadership class you take uh, in business or uh, especially in the Bible, especially in the Bible, but here's the deal. When they came to Aaron, he's just like, tear off your gold rings and bring them to me. Now, some of the, and it doesn't tell us anything about this. It, it says, a few of the commentaries, and, and I don't know that I believe them, I'm just putting this out there, say, say that he thinks, well, if he, just, if he just makes this difficult where they have to bring money or offerings, they're not going to do it. Um, it. The Bible doesn't, the narrative doesn't tell us that, but even if he did that, whether he did that and tried to hold them off, or he was just like, okay, bring it, bad leadership is bad leadership. And Aaron is full on in bad leadership right now because he should have said as their leader, stop. We just wrote down. They don't have the tablets yet, but they wrote it down. We have this. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not have graven images. And so he doesn't do that. He just says, okay, we'll do what you want. And if you look at church history, whether it be Jewish history, the history of the Christian church, this is kind of a common thing where the people say, hey, this is what we want. This is how we want to do church. This is what church should look like. And so uh, I don't have any specific examples of that, but, but it's interesting that Aaron just right away, he should have stood up and just said no. And a couple things would happen if that happens. As a leader, as somebody who's speaking for God, he would have said no. And he would have held back sin. He would have held back their debauchery. Um, he may or may not, that, that act may or may not have changed hearts, but the reality is if he held back sin as a leader, people might be open to hearing the gospel. They might be open to hearing what God has for them when Moses comes down from the mountain. But him abdicating his job as a leader changes everything because once that gate of leadership is like loosed, everything's on the table. And when Moses comes down the mountain, there's no gate holding it back. Everything's just happening, as we'll see. So, um, in verse 34, then he said, He took it from their hand, and uh, he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a molten calf. Uh, and he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. So again, that word God is Elohim. So I think, I think in their mind somehow that they think that this is actually a God thing. Moses is gone, but we're going to do this. But they've got so interwoven with, you know, they've been in Egypt and are used to idolatry. And they're used to uh, uh, some form that they can see and look, look to. Uh, and so uh, again, they're using God's words, but they're far from God. They're, they're, this is full-on idolatry. And so then... Um, Aaron saw it, and, and it's interesting, Aaron saw it instead of going, ooh, and having repentance and going, we better get back to what's right, 
He doesn't, none of that happens in his mind. And I don't know if it's the people like him or whatever, but instead of going, we should stop this, this is bad, he goes, let's build an altar. He is full on going the wrong way too. He is, he is full on with the people. And so uh, it's interesting, in verse 35 he said, Aaron saw this and he built an altar before it and made the proclamation and said, tomorrow there shall be a feast to the Lord. And that word there, the word for God is Yahweh. So again, he's using a biblical term for what he thinks is God, but this is not God. It's full-on idolatry. So the next day that they did it, they, they come down and they, uh, they brought peace offerings and uh, uh, burnt offerings, and then they rose up to play. So, and it says, so they did the offerings. Now, if these were godly offerings, they would not, they would not rise up to eat and drink and play. Because it would, it would seem from the text that drink, the word drink there is, is to drink or to be drunk. And to play, it seems like there's a lot of debauchery going on from what I could tell from the word use. So if this was a godly thing, you don't get up from a godly situation and go get drunk and do drunken things. So then uh, going on in verse 7, then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once. For your people who you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves, and they have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. And they have made for themselves a molten calf, and they have worshipped it, and they have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, they are an obstinate people. And now then, let me alone that I may... Uh, that that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them and that I will make of you a great nation. So it's interesting in verse 7 he says, uh, go down the people that you have brought up from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I don't know uh, if other fellas have, have noticed this, but when the kids are bad, they're yours. Uh, <laughs> so it's kind of, it's not the same. I just, I, sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs> so uh, he's, Obviously, the Lord knows what's going on. He's not unwise to what's happening here. And so, uh, they've, and, and God says it himself, they quickly turned aside and they've made themselves a molten calf. Uh, and they've said, he just repeats it, they've said, this is your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Now, um, it says God that is a jealous God. And it's not like the jealousy like, oh, somebody talked to my boyfriend or somebody talked to my girlfriend or somebody has, you know, better stuff than I do. Not that kind of jealousy. It's a righteous jealousy where God says, I created you. I have set up redemption for you. I want you to be holy so I can have a relationship with you. And you have walked away from that relationship for something else. God is jealous to have relationship with his, with his people. And so uh, obviously uh, he's mad at them. And so uh, he says they're an obstinate people. Um, some of the translations say that they're a stiff-necked people, like a horse or a donkey that just will not do, just will not be led, will not be taught. I remember when I was younger, when I used to ride some, uh, the people that I rode with had this, had this paint horse, and sometimes he just wanted to do what he want, wanted. And, and I remember having a rein in each hand, and you're not supposed to do that, and just cranking to try to get this. And his whole head, would, his whole head and neck would turn, and he would still somehow go forward. And it's just like, oh, this, um, uh, and so it, it's like, 
I'm pulling for everything that I can and still going forward, and that horse it just... So, so it's, uh, God is obviously frustrated, and He is righteously angry. He's righteous to feel this way. And so He says, uh, uh, leave me alone so I can burn my anger against them, and I'm going to destroy them and make a great, great nation. So in this moment, when these people have agreed to keep the law, and they have turned from the law... Obviously, they're, they're, they're clearly breaking commandments one and two. They're clearly, you know, adultery. The, 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 I mean, they're, they're on a rampage as far as breaking the commandments, right? So, they're, so he's well within his right to do this. And, and as far as the law goes, he can execute this. God is righteous to do so. But then uh, what it says next in verse 11, Then Moses entreated the Lord God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, Israel, your servants to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens and all the land which I have spoken. I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he would do to his people. Well, that's kind of hard. Is God double-minded? Is he confused? Is, is he a God of, of, of confusion? When I started looking at this, I was like, oh, well, what, what, what do we think about this? But this provides an amazing picture of a couple of things, I think. First, intercessory prayer. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. Moses intercedes on behalf of the people. And he also shows a picture of what the redemption of Christ might be like. Because while God can have righteous judgment... He chose to send Jesus to the cross to pay for the sins instead of making each individual pay for the sins. And so when Moses, and this is a play where, you know, Moses, Moses is a human and he has uh, the ability to pray in this relationship with God. And maybe it came from just a being in his relationship with God. Maybe it was even inspired by the Holy Spirit to intercede for his people. But you see this picture where God is a righteous God and he is just in exercising that justice, but he's also just in hearing the prayers of the intercessor and showing grace to his people. And it's interesting how Moses goes about this. There's two whys and a remember. So what he says, uh, less important probably, why should the Egyptians speak? So if God destroys his people, the Egyptians are going to go, ha look what he did to us to get him out of there. And then he smited them all in the desert. Ha-ha, what is that God all about? It's crazy. That's what they would say. Not that that changes who God is or anything, but it's a thing that Moses says. Then he says, um, uh, oh, sorry. First, why does your anger burn? And sorry, and then... Uh, why should you come out with the Egyptians? So um, I think that why does your anger burn? Because Moses knows that God from the beginning knew everything and these people were going to sin and he'd already made the promise. 
So he says, why does your anger burn? You knew this. Why would you want to embarrass yourself? And then remember, remember your promise, Lord. You yourself made a promise and you've always kept your promises. So the intercessor has this awesome job of being able to just, not that God needs the reminder, but to intercede and so God can show that grace instead of having to go forward with the law and the judgment. So uh, intercessory prayer is pretty awesome. And Jesus is our intercessor is, is an amazing thing. So then it goes, uh, goes on uh, in verse 15 and it says, Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets in the testimony in his hand and the tablets which were written on both sides and they were written on one side and the other and the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets. And now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted and he said to Moses, Here's the sound of, uh, there's the sound of war in the camp. But Moses said, this is not the sound of the cry, uh, uh, sorry, but he said, it is not the sound of the cry of the trumpet, nor is it the sound of the cry of defeat. It is the sound of singing that you hear. So it just puts in there that, hey, look, these tablets were made by God. This is a direct message to the people of Israel from God. And then he comes down, and you know what? Joshua is sprinkled throughout here. If you go through there, and I didn't have time to do this, but look at how many times it just mentions Joshua through here. Uh, 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 until later, when, when they send scouts out, Joshua's just kind of close to Moses and, and keeping his head down, and it seems like being godly. It's just kind of quiet in the background. So it, he's sprinkled throughout there, and he thinks there's a war going on, but Moses tells him, nope, that's the sound of singing. In verse 19, and it came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets in his hand and shattered them at the foot of the mountain and he took the calf which they had made and burned it with fire and ground it into powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. So when he came down, it would seem that, um, you know, since uh, he made the sons of Israel drink it, that, uh, that when he came down, he made his presence known. It would seem that people are gathered around. He's not just doing this in a vacuum by himself. And then uh, he's, he's mad. And he hears the sounds of drinking in the calf. And uh, he shattered what God had written. Wow. He was pretty mad. And then uh, he took the calf, which they made, and burned it with fire and grouted it into powder and uh, scattered it over the surface of the water and made him drink it. Hey, look, there's a pretty, there's a pretty visual thing there that uh, any God of any power, you, it can't be ground to be powder and put in water for you to drink and just be eliminated by your body. That's not a God, that's an idol. So I think that he does that publicly to make sure that everybody knows, hey, this is an idol. It's been very clear it's very clear what Moses did. And, it, and you would think that, I don't know how long it takes to grind something into powder, but you would think that people would be watching for a while and have time to think about it. I don't know how they ground idols back then, but however that works. So, so Moses has made, made this. He's ground the idol into powder. And then Moses said to Aaron, verse 21, how did this, uh, what did this people do to you that you have brought such great sin upon them. And Aaron said, 
Do not let the anger of my Lord burn, because you know the people yourself. They are prone to evil. For they said to me, Make a God for us who will go before us. Uh, for this Moses, the man who brought us from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him, become them. And I said to them, Whoever has gold, let them tear it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Can he hear himself speaking as he see, says this? So it, it's, it, it's interesting because, okay, it would have seemed that in chronological order, he's seen the grounding of this, and now we're getting to this conversation that, that Moses has done doing the work of grinding this thing up. What happened, Aaron? He said, uh, what have these people done to you? Bad leadership. I, I don't know. And, 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 and was it the people or was this a bad choice of Aaron or the, the whole thing? Uh, that, you know, that's, that's what the text says. But it, it's, it's, uh, it's a legitimate question. But what have they done to you that you have brought such great sin upon them? Hey, leader. Hey, Christian leader. Gosh, if you don't follow God's word, people can get into sin pretty quick. And there's something to answer for. That's tough. That's uncomfortable. Um, you know, it's one of those things, the, the, the week that they asked me to apply for the job here, like almost 12 years ago, I was actually going through James and the elder that said, hey, would you pray over coming to work here, uh, working with the youth? And I was like, I was in James. I just read James 3.1. Teachers will be judged more harshly. And I'm like, that's not a thing I'm, I'm down for. Uh, so... Uh, Turns out God had other plans, but uh, it, it really is, it, it is a weighty thing and can't be swayed by people. Things have to be done by the word. And so then, and then Aaron does the same thing. Uh, don't let, don't let your anger burn with me because you know how people are, Moses. You know how people are, Moses. They can be prone to evil. And so, hey, look at this. Look at this. <laughs> hey, you know how there's nothing new under the sun? Genesis 3. Genesis 3. God says to Adam, why have you done this? Oh, it's that woman you gave me. Right? So, so instead of taking responsibility, Aaron says, oh, no, it's those people. Those people. So he, he doesn't take responsibility. And then, and, then, and then he tells him the story, kind of mostly true except for the end. Oh, I threw this into the fire, just out came this calf. Not, I formed it and all this sort of thing. And I thought, wow, that, that was the first thing I thought of. Did he really, could he hear himself when he said that? And I thought, and I thought, wow. But then, I, but then I got to thinking. Then I got to thinking about some of the things that I've had to wrestle through in my faith and some of the things that you realize one day that are there. And you're like, where did this just rise up out of? And I thought, wow, we as individuals, we as individuals, we should probably be looking for the things that are idols that rose up in our lives. And I'm going to tell you some. I'm going to tell you years ago, and this is one that still pops up for me, and I'll tell you one of the idols that I struggled with is uh, this Constitution and the First and Second Amendment. I like them. I like to say what I want. I like my guns. I'm a gun guy. Look, I've lived in South Dakota, Wyoming, Texas, and Wyoming. I like them, guns. But... It's one of those things where uh, after I became a Christian, early, middle 2000s, I remember having conversations with people and, and uh, sometimes you can get over on people and I started to think, well, I can say whatever I want. I can be for whatever I want. 
But I don't think I've ever, at that point, I was like, I don't think I've ever shared the gospel with anybody. I don't think I've ever used my right to speak, and this is before all this social media, to speak and say, hey, I should tell you about the gospel. Because all the peripheral things I was arguing about at that time in my life, I got back to, you know what, all the things I don't like in society, all all the LGBT stuff, abortion, that sort of stuff, you know what it comes down to? Unless people have the gospel, people are going to live like people who are unsaved. And I am trying to win an argument, not lovingly tell people that they're involved in evil and they need to repent and know that the Lord Jesus Christ. And it was hard for me. And that's one that still comes up to me where I see things and I want to go to the flesh. I want to go to this idol where I can just say whatever I want without love, without being, hey, there's evil, there's sin, you need to repent because there's forgiveness. That's one I still struggle with. The Second Amendment, and, and, and back to, you know, where do these idols come from? I remember thinking about this. I remember having a conversation with a bunch of guys, and they were talking about, well, if they ever come get my guns, man, they can take it from my cold, dead hand. It'll be quite a shootout. And I remember thinking, yeah. And then later I remember thinking, I like my guns so much that what I just said is I'm willing to have a shootout with a police officer whom I may love I didn't know all the police officers then, but I know a lot of good guys now. <laughs> and, and I'm thinking, I just said, I just said, I would have a shootout with a police officer and lay down my life for a piece of metal that people for most of human history have never had the opportunity to have. And I thought, oh my goodness. And then I started looking at the Bible and I said, this is real idle for me. And God didn't tell me to get rid of my guns, but you know what? I decided that, you know, if it comes to that, I'm just going to hand over my guns and share the gospel with those people. Even the guns that went down in the boating accident. Because, oh, come on, that's funny. <laughs> so, because it was one of those things where it was like, in my, in my words, before I thought it out, somehow the idol of this thing that I have, this thing that, that the Constitution of the United States gives me, and I could go hunting or whatever, was more important than the life of another human and I, was, and I said that I was willing to lay my life down for it. Wow, I was way off base, and I had to think, and that's what came to my mind when I was preaching through this. I'm like, this idol, this golden calf in my life, I don't even know where all that came from. I couldn't, I couldn't even go back to the beginning and say, where was the thing that started me thinking like that? And so I tell you that about me because I don't know your story, but, but the reality is when we look at this, I think all of us probably have something in our lives that's risen up as an idol, whether we can see it or whether it's uh, something that we hold on to or whatever. And so as we look at this, we have to think, wow, we need to not get here because we serve a holy God who saved us. And because of that, we should live holy for him. And so when, when Aaron says that, uh, my, my, first, my first reaction was to mock him a little bit until I was like, oh, well, Aaron, I have my things too. So it isn't amazing. I don't know for you guys, but it, for me, it's amazing that as I'm searching through the scripture, I'm like, what does this have to do to us now, Lord? And then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, wow, I have to share a bad story about myself. But anyway, so going on in verse 25, it says, now when Moses saw that the people were out of control and Aaron had let them get out of control to be a uh, a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood at the gate of the camp, and whoever is, uh, and said, "Whoever is for the Lord, come to me." And all the sons of Levi gathered 
gathered there to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Every man of you put on his sword on his thigh and go back and forth from the gate and in the camp and kill every man and his brother and every man and his friend and every man and his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed, about the 3,000 men fell that day. And then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his uh, brother, and in order that he may bestow blessing today. This is also very hard, I think, because when you, you know, um, the reality is that God is a loving God. He's a benevolent God. And this is one of those places where I would, I would imagine people go, well, God's just a mean, angry God, and He just likes to kill people. But He said the, the, the people were out of control. And, and He gives them, Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come with me. And only the tribe of Levi does. So it's very clear that to me, if everybody of those 3,000 who died that day had come, there wouldn't have been 3,000 deaths that day. They had their chance. They had their opportunity. And here's the thing about God's grace. I don't think those guys would have turned. That's, that's my opinion personally, but when God brings somebody's life to an end, they've already made their eternal decision. They've made their decision about salvation. The Lord is just carrying out what they've already already happened in their hearts. So, so God isn't trying to be mean or hateful. Death says, you know, God says, I don't glory in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want these people to die, but these people have chosen. And so when, uh, when he said to them, uh, put on your sword and go in there and, and, and kill those people, hey, look, he's, he's cutting the cancer of sin out of the camp. There's a lot of people and 3,000 people die. Um, the standard thinking on that is those are the people that were uh, involved in the orgy or uh, whatever thing was going on when they went to play. And so these guys, the Levites, wow, how difficult must have that been to carry out God's justice. So, but he says to them, Dedicate, after they go and kill those 3,000 people, dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been uh, against his son and against his brother in order that he may bestow blessing upon you today. And so that's really hard that God carries out justice. But you know what? God is just to do so, especially if people had the opportunity to come and they refused. Verse 30, On the next day Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin. Now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, the people has committed a great sin and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin and if you will, uh, if you will forgive their sin and if you will not, blot me out of your book which you have written. So, very next day, after a lot has happened, Moses returned to the Lord. And Moses doesn't make an excuse for them. He, he's like, I've seen it. They've done a great sin. And they've made it idle for themselves. But in verse 32, there's an interesting thing here. It says, but now, if you will forgive their sin, and then there's a dash. And I don't know. Does a dash mean that he waited for quite a while? Was there silence? Was there 
Thoughtfulness was, I don't know. But if you will forgive their sins. But then he goes on, if not, please blot me out from your book, which you have written. And it's interesting, I only see, I only see another, uh, one other place in, in uh, Romans 9.3. Paul, when, he, when, he's, when he's just burning for his, his brothers, and he says, Lord, may I be accursed so my countrymen will be, will be saved. Now, neither Moses or Paul can atone for another person, but this is how much they care. This is how much that you see Moses and Paul looking at another person, looking at other sinful human beings and recognizing that they are fellow image bearers of Christ, and he wants to see them saved. And so, again, this is an intercession. And, and I think even to say that, you have to be in a place where you really love God and really love others. And so, he says that, but then in verse 33, the Lord says, said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot them out of my book. But now go, lead the people where I told you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I, uh, when I punish, I will punish them for their sins. And then the Lord smote the people because of what they had done with the calf and uh, which Aaron had made. So, that's pretty heavy stuff. Verse 33, Who has ever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. I think the saving grace in that, well, first of all, that's true. That's true. Anybody who sinned against God is a sinner and will die. But here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing that God always does. When you believe in God's promise, when these people believed in God's promise that He would send a Savior, that will be reckoned to them as righteousness. Just like Abraham. Just like now, when we see our sin, and we repent, receive Jesus Christ as Lord, He won't see our sin. So all those who don't turn to the Lord, they have to pay the price. That's why there's an urgency for the gospel. That's why there's an urgency for us to truly love other people. And sometimes to do that, all this is saying, going back to, if we're so tied up with the idols in our lives that we can't look at other people and love and truly want them to see the gospel, we're not... We're not fulfilling our, our purpose as individuals. That was hard. That was one of the things that I thought, wow, as I was looking through this, man, am, am, what are the things in my life that I need to take out so I can be close to God, so I can love people, so I can share the gospel? So this, uh, then, then also God says, okay, so he says that, and he said, lead the people where I'll go, but, uh, and my angel will, uh, uh, and behold, my angel will go before you, nevertheless, in the day when I punish them for their sin. So uh, the Lord smote people because they did not, uh, because of what they did with the calf. Hey, look, even if there's forgiveness, sometimes the natural consequences continue on. That doesn't mean we should ever, ever uh, stray away from God or stray away from those things. Uh, the children of Israel, as you see uh, going forward, they are back and forth. 
But the thing that we can take away for ourselves is the thing that I said before, is that actually what, what God showed me. Let me show you what God showed with me. What are the idols in my life? What have I held on to? What golden calves, if somebody came to me and said, hey, Aaron, why is this idol in your life? Would I respond, I don't know. It just came up out of the fire one day, I don't know. That was an important thing for me to ask. It was important for me to go back to some of the battles that I'd had earlier in my life and think about some of the things that are going on now and just think about, am I living a holy life? Am I looking towards God or am I looking towards the idols in my life? And then beyond that, am I looking to the God who can forgive and will forgive when I realize those things and turn to Him? Good stuff. God is good. That doesn't make it easy. So as you go this week, if you have time, go through that again and uh, look ahead. Uh, the next passages, you know, God does some really, really cool, tender things where he meets with Moses. And so after this hard part, as I read for it, it looked really good to me that uh, Moses just has, you know, the tent of meeting and Joshua was there. Good stuff. So, um, yeah, search your life. Ask God. This is how I started. God, what do you want me to learn from this passage? Um, and, and I'll be honest, I didn't like it right away when I started going through it because as you can see, it's difficult. But when God shows you something, He wants you to teach, teach you something, which is a beautiful thing. And hopefully through it, we all become closer to God. That's His whole purpose when He started giving all this to the children of Israel, to draw close to Him in a relationship so we could be the people that would show His love to the rest of the world to draw them into the relationship with Him. Amen? Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for uh, your word, Lord. Uh, sometimes it's best when it's challenging and uh, uh, it puts us in a place where we have to just uh, consider ourselves uh, against your holiness. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord. But out of that, we know that you bring, uh, uh, you just bring beauty uh, out of ashes and the fire. And um, we pray that, uh, Lord, we would continue to be people who would be in the Word, that we would continue to uh, urge each other on to uh, holiness, that we would uh, um, help each other stay away from idolatry of this world, and that, Lord, we would just, because of that, draw closer in relationship with you and closer in relationship with others. In Jesus' name, amen. I forgot my iPad. Oh, I got it, though. It's okay. <laughs>